Welcome to Talkumentaries, where we'll discuss a different documentary each week. This week we're discussing Looking for Miss Locklear. It's a 2008 film in which YouTubers and lifelong best friends Rhett and Link use only word of mouth to embark on a search for the long-lost teacher of the first grade class where they met. Their journey leads them deep into the heart of an obscure tribe of Native Americans, the Lumbee of North Carolina. It's currently available for rent or purchase on Amazon. This podcast will contain spoilers, so listen at your own risk. My daughter and I, every night, have to watch an episode of Good Mythical Morning. That's become our routine. Uh And so I'm a big fan of Rhett and Link. Yeah. And I did realize they had done a documentary. They had mentioned it in one of the episodes. Oh. But I didn't know anything about it yeah. until you mentioned it, and I'm, I'm glad you did. I really enjoyed it. Good. I think they are very entertaining people. Uh-huh. They call themselves internet-tainers <laughs> <laughs> instead of entertainers. Uh-huh. But they've built quite an empire yeah. on YouTube, and not just YouTube now. They have a book coming out. Oh, called, really? I uh, had the Book of Mythicality. I and, had no idea. Uh, they have multiple YouTube channels. And mm-hmm. let's see, they've got Good Mythical Morning, which is what we watch every night. And uh-huh. it's just like a 10 to 15 minute episode mm-hmm. every night. And then they also have Good Mythical More, which is like the after show. Oh. And they have Red and Link, which is just a collection of their funny music videos. <laughs> They also have This is Mythical, which is more their crew on uh-huh. the camera. Uh-huh. So they have this big supporting crew. They also have their own podcast. I don't know if you've listened to that. Oh, no. It's called Ear Biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know that. They interview other YouTubers, and I was really excited to hear they had a podcast and went and downloaded a few episodes. And then I was very disappointed when... I got in the car with my daughter, and we started to listen to it. And at the very beginning of the episode, they said, this is not kid-friendly. They made a point to say that, and I appreciate them saying that, because I had specifically downloaded it so my daughter and I could listen to it. But their point was, and they explained that they are interviewing other YouTubers. Uh That's what they do each episode. They interview a different YouTuber, and they Uh want those people to be their authentic selves, and they can't control what You can't interview a raunchy YouTuber (laughs) to keep it G-rated. Yeah. 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 But they said everything else that they produce is Mm kid-friendly, and that's why we've become big fans, and, and they really are entertaining. Yeah. They have now moved to Los Angeles and have their own production company. Uh-huh. It's called Mythical Entertainment. <laughs> and let's see, it was estimated in 2015 that they earned $4.5 million. Wow. So I think when people create a YouTube channel and think they're going to get rich, they're thinking about people like Rhett and Link. Right, right. They at one point also had an IFC show, and I've never seen that, but apparently it only ran for one season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did at one point have a show on TV. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed in 2009, they were named number 22 on Business Insider's top 25 most creative people in advertising list. <laughs> so that's well deserved. I think so too. They know how to market themselves on the internet. Yeah. And, and get a fan base. Well, and I know they have a talent for advertising because my first awareness of Retin and Link came from the early days of YouTube. There was um, a viral video going around that was a TV ad someone had made for 
a pharmacy in like Ohio or Indiana or somewhere called Butt Drugs. Oh, right. And I, I remember guess, that. Was that Rhett and Link? I, it was. And I... I need um, to go find that for my daughter. So <laughs> I, I think that they, by then, had already, you know established a little business doing um, video stuff and maybe they had had some kind of a contest or something to say make the case for why we should do an ad for your business and <laughs> butt drugs which was a family name but you know I mean it makes you laugh but that's the actual family name of this long established <laughs> pharmacy come get your suppositories and here. they have parking in the rear I mean come on so they were like yep butt drugs that's what we're doing so they did this little ad that showed like all the friendly folks at butt drugs and how they can they have a little lunch counter there and you can have your coffee and catch up on the town guy Gossip and get your Tylenol or whatever. Oh, that's and um, the tune I just remember went bu 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 drugs. <laughs> and so, of course, with that silliness and that tune, it just went wild. And this was when YouTube was still fairly young, and you weren't watching viral videos all day from all over the place. Yeah. So my husband and I were kind of aware of them from that, and then when we saw that they had put out a documentary. And then we saw that it was about trying to find their first grade teacher in in Robeson County, North Carolina, where I'd lived for a time as a kid. We thought, okay, we got to see this. <laughs> it was really so sweet. So the whole premise of it is that they, the reason they became friends, they're grown men now, the way that they became friends was they were in the same first grade class in this little rural area of North Carolina and got in trouble both of them for writing bad words on their desk. <laughs> right, right. And their teacher, Ms. Locklear, had them both stay back from recess one day because, or maybe several days, who knows, because of their misbehavior. And because they both were being punished at the same time by being held back from what the other kids were doing, they forged this friendship that has, you know, turned into this big thing now. And... um it's become, into a, it's become a very big thing here lately, like you said. But by the early 2000s, they were already in business together and were doing filmmaking kind of stuff. And so they wanted to do a uh, documentary to talk about finding this teacher and thanking her for her very pivotal role in what their lives had become. So it turns out Locklear is a very common name in this part of the state. And so they have to do some digging to find out which of the many thousands of Lockleers in the area might be able to lead them to the Ms. Locklear. Yeah. The premise of the movie was that they would only use word of mouth to locate her. They mm -hmm. would not use any resources like a phone directory or an internet search. Google, yeah. Or, or any sort of looking up of information. Mm -hmm. This would only be, they're going to start at the elementary school and ask people mm -hmm. and visit people in person. Yeah. So that was their rule as they went forward. Yeah. Which turned out to be a really good decision because it led them to talk to some really interesting people who could be the subject of their own documentary yeah. pretty easily. Yeah, totally. I mean, they started at the elementary school and were directed to the home of Carnell Locklear, mm -hmm. who was very entertaining mm -hmm. and had some puppies. And mm -hmm. so they all climbed up in his truck with the puppies and he went and visited other Locklears and gave away some puppies. And What better way to get people talking than a big pile of puppies? I mean, yeah. that really breaks the ice. Found some homes for the puppies and 
talk to lots of other locklears, everyone they would go to talk to, you know, they would start talking to the person about their first grade teacher. And Mm -hmm. then they would ask the person if they knew her and they would say, well, you know, no, no, I know lots of locklears. And they would ask the person, what's your last name? And they would say locklear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. There were lots of locklears, but nobody up to that point had known her personally, at least. Mm-hmm. Someone mentioned there was going to be a Lumby Days. Mm-hmm. Lumby Days, I guess, festival mm-hmm. in the town. Yeah. And I had never heard of Lumby yeah. prior to this. Yeah. Uh, but it's an Indian tribe in mm-hmm. that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remembered the Lumbee tribe from a news story that broke around the time that my family lived there. And it involved two Lumbee men, I think, who came into the local newspaper office and held a whole bunch of people hostage. They had guns and held people hostage. And I don't think anybody was hurt in that incident, but their aim was to raise awareness and get people talking about the Lumbee tribe and their ongoing struggle to be federally recognized. Mm -hmm. Which, as a kid, I remember that being the point behind it, but I remember thinking, why do you care if people recognize you or not? (laughs) You just say you're Lumbee and go on about your life, but obviously we know now there's all kinds of funding involved and opportunities involved and just pride involved in having somebody recognize your tribe as being a legitimate tribe. It's been an ongoing struggle for them, so that was an interesting subplot of this documentary that in their search for Ms. Locklear, they're running into all these people named Locklear who are part of the Lumbee tribe. And so they got to learn a little bit about that struggle and and where it was headed. Yeah, and they actually went to Washington, D.C. with members of the tribe to a Senate hearing Mm -hmm. to discuss the tribe getting federal recognition. And they said they'd been in the process for 120 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Golly. That became a really big part of the documentary, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. much more so than finding the principal at that point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but they did end up going to another local elementary school in Fayetteville, mm-hmm. where supposedly the principal's name was Lenora Locklear. <laughs> and so they went there and it was their teacher. That's so cool. <laughs> it was really sweet. <laughs> and they had a... Native American Culture Assembly at the school in which Rhett and Link were able to get up on stage and perform, and mm-hmm. they performed a song they had written about Miss Locklear. That's so cool. And it was a really cute elementary level type song. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but she had never married. Her name was still Locklear. Yeah. She told him that she was married to her job, but... Yeah, I, and thank goodness she never married, because if she had had a different name, that would have made it all the more complicated <laughs> to find her. Much longer documentary. <laughs> Unless she married another Locklear, then it would have been very handy. It was a shorter documentary, but really cute. I, they filmed it in 2006, and it was released in 2008. Mm. They've obviously come a long way production-wise since then. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got a bigger crew and more money behind them. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it's such a sweet story. And it's such, we talked in the last episode about how these little moments in life can put you on a totally different path and how, you know, for her, it was probably just an offhand decision that both these kids are acting up. And <laughs> they wrote so curse words on the, the Everybody else gets to go to recess. You guys just have to sit here and twiddle your thumbs. I, she had no idea. She was 
sparking a lifelong friendship and, and building an empire, building an empire, a yeah, media I mean, they put empire. a business together, and <laughs> now they're just a total force to be reckoned with. Uh-huh. And it's all because she just had it one day and said, "You guys are staying inside." Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's sweet too that she knew exactly who they were when she saw them. That is, I mean, because how many hundreds of kids yeah. has, have come and gone through her life in those decades? Yeah, and by the time they caught up with her, she was principal of a school. So that's even more kids that she's directly interacting with every day. And to to imagine being able to remember all those little people. I mean, it boggles my mind even when my friend's kids have grown a lot since the last time I saw them. It would blow my mind to see somebody come through the door and immediately be like, oh, yeah, you're that seven-year-old from, you know, (laughs) from 1981 or whatever. (laughs) Wrote curse words on right. <laughs> And apparently when they stayed in, they colored uh, unicorns, mythical, <laughs> mythical animals, and that's where they got mythical from. Okay, I didn't know that. I, did, and I didn't know until I read it like, that's in cool. preparation for I want to know what the bad words were they wrote. <laughs> I mean, was it really bad? Were, are we talking F-bombs? or was it like sweet poop? like sucker, you know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we should ask. I don't yeah. know. I'll leave a comment on one of their videos or something. <laughs> I remember I got in trouble for calling somebody a stupid idiot once when I was a little kid. <laughs> it's not a very, you know, stinging insult. It was just what kids said when they wanted to insult each other. But Right. My daughter one time fussed at me for saying stupid because she thought it was a curse word. <laughs> I felt kind of bad. So sweet. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you haven't heard a curse word. <laughs> well, she has Sit now. down, take some but... notes, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it would be. And the pictures of them, really, it's, it's not hard to imagine that she recognized them all those years later because when you see their pictures <laughs> right. in the documentary, they don't look that different. Right. <laughs> and they both have very distinctive features. Yeah. And they just looked like they had the same heads right. on tinier bodies, you know? <laughs> That's true. There are some kids who I think would be, just be pretty nondescript, yeah. you know, and you wouldn't necessarily recognize them when they were older, but yeah. they looked really very much the same. One night out of curiosity, this was um, a couple months ago, we searched for Red and Link's first video mm-hmm. to see, you know, what their first video was like. Because now they have a set, they have a whole crew, they have high production value, you know, mm-hmm. they have a soundtrack, they have right product sponsors, they have all these different things that you associate with, you know, modern media. But their first video, I guess they were in college, and they had some college friends with them. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> they went out to this dam, and it was, you know, a cheap handheld camera, and I think that Link was behind the camera, because you didn't see him. Mm-hmm. It was the other friends and Red, uh-huh. the blonde guy with the beard, uh-huh. and of course, I don't think he had a beard at this point, but he looked really young, uh-huh. and... They picked up a boulder and, like, threw it over the side of the dam and filmed the splash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, really compelling stuff. <laughs> so there's hope for anybody who wants to yeah. be a filmmaker. I yeah. mean, with today's technology, anybody can produce content and publish that is it. so true so true yeah and yeah. these guys are self-made i mm-hmm. mean that's what i really love about it and they're genuine mm-hmm. today in their high production value stuff 
I get that same sweet naivete, and I love doing this vibe Mm -hmm. from them, watching their daily videos. Right, that That they're genuinely delighted by, this is our life, and this is what we do. Yeah, Yeah. and I I would do this without getting paid, kind of thing, you know? (laughs) They act like they really enjoy it, and they're genuine about it, and... Everything they do seems really positive. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I really like about them. And my daughter, I don't have a problem with her watching their videos because I don't have to worry about right too much weirdness. Mm-hmm. Like, And she's nine, you know, so she's at that middle ground where adult things weird are out. Right. But she understands there's something uncomfortable there. Right. You know? They do these silly little things on their episodes. Sometimes it's eating weird things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's you have to guess if something is correct or not, you know. And mm-hmm. so they were quizzing each other. The quizzer asked the person who was answering, is this a lyric from a royalty-free song or not? So, I mean, it's, it's not really testing intelligence. Right. It's, it's just, just something fun. Right, right. But the lyric that was up on the screen was something about a tampon. <laughs> and the song they sang, okay, so it was like the tampon was up on the screen as one of the options. And the song they sang about it was like, you spoiled my trip to San Juan. Because <laughs> I wore white pants and I... To rhyme with tampon? Yeah. <laughs> Because I wore white pants and you know, there was an accident, you didn't work right, and I'm like, oh, this is just so weird, you know. She had already asked a few weeks ago, and I don't remember what the context was. But she had asked what a tampon was. She knows what a tampon. No, 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 no. Wait, she's known what a tampon was for a while. She asked what a condom was oh, a few weeks ago. That's a fun conversation. That was from Jimmy Fallon because sometimes we watch hashtags, oh. and I should have known better. <laughs> Because um, the hashtags are funny, but sometimes they're all yeah. It's a late night something. show, yeah. <laughs> and it was one about spring break, so oh, it was parenting mistake. <laughs> She's like, "What's a condom?" I'm like, oh. all right. So give us that explanation. What'd you say? Oh, I, I told her. I said it's a piece of rubber that a man can wear so a woman doesn't get pregnant. Nice. And she goes, "Ew, gross." <laughs> And I'm like, I mean, it is super gross, but that was a good, direct, <laughs> simple like, explanation. Oh, my God. <laughs> At least, it's, you know, like in the olden times, I would probably say, well, you have to go kill a goat and then <laughs> harvest the intestines. <laughs> and <laughs> At least now you can go to the drugstore and buy them. Oh, my God. Not until you're 27 or 28. <laughs> At least. <laughs> <laughs> if ever. Unfortunately, the tampons will come along a lot sooner. <laughs> but yeah, it was a super cute Yeah, I had forgotten how short it was. <laughs> that makes less to talk about. But I do love when we do kind of a lighthearted one. We, we do, I was telling my husband this yesterday, you and I both as murderinos <laughs> can be drawn more to the sort of murder topics in documentaries and there's a lot of them i mean honestly the percentage of murder documentaries when you look at the whole genre is crazy and just true crime in general yeah we are drawn to true crime stuff and even when it's not true crime sometimes it's something really 
dark or bleak or, you know, some giant world problem to solve or something. So when we can throw in a little meet the Patels or a little finding Ms. Locklear or something like that, it's a nice palate cleanser. kind of reminds us that all is not lost. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So you have made a nice, I'm looking at it right now, a nice giant list of the documentaries available to us. And you even made like a little subcategory here for the lighter, (laughs) lighter ones. So I'm excited that we have some to sprinkle through our future offerings here. Yeah, hopefully we can mix it up a little and keep it interesting because there are a lot of true crime podcasts out there too that talk about the same stories. Yeah. And I mean, unplanned, but you know, you will tune into like True Crime Garage and they might have the same thing that Sword and Scale talked about two weeks ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I enjoy those. And most of the time, it's, it might have a little bit of different information or it's presented in a different way. But, you know, we'll have at least other types of stories thrown in. It won't be just murder and true crime. <laughs> right. And how many times are we going to talk about Casey Anthony type things? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I do see that documentary here on our I put it on there. Yeah. I, you know, I, I told you this the other day, but I'll say it again. The Casey Anthony thing, I don't see this putting me off of watching it I'll probably watch it anyway but when we listened to um, My Favorite Murder you know a few weeks ago Georgia or Karen maybe both said that they weren't sure they could they wanted to deal with that one because there just didn't seem to be any explanation for it besides Mm -hmm. Casey Anthony was just a selfish piece of crap yeah yeah (laughs) and it really is you know sometimes you can kind of see oh well they were misguided or they were jealous of this or whatever it just sounds like there's just nothing to redeem her at all no I did watch the investigation discovery to where it's three parter. Um, oh, I think I actually fell asleep at, at the end of the third part. <laughs> we know how it is. All this murder is so very boring. <laughs> I know how it is. Yeah, it's it's true. late. You know how it ends. I think it will be interesting though to watch and see um, the the dynamic between her and her parents and the yeah. role they played and all that. So yeah, and it. You know, there has been some time since all that happened, and you forget details. And I was at a different place in my life and didn't pay very close attention. I just remember broad strokes. Of- Same here. I don't remember much of it either. My mother, on the other hand, was obsessed with yeah. the case. Watched it every day. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It became a running joke between me and my sister that every time we talked to my mom, it would be like, how's dad? How's your friend? What's going on with Casey? <laughs> so, um, well, yeah, maybe she's interviewed in the documentary. My mom's got a lot to say on the topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there were things that I either didn't know or had forgotten that mm. I did find somewhat interesting. But, yeah, for the most part, it's just sad. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll brace myself for that. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Back to so, I was just going to say, we don't really need to end this one on a high note because it's already such a high note. Miss Locklear, it was such a, you know, cute, fun little documentary. Yeah. But then I went and took it to Casey Anthony Town and... <laughs> Now we might need to end on a high note. Are we ending, though? Have we? I feel like we've only talked for like 10 minutes on this one. Well, um, the Lumbee, the current status of the Lumbee tribe... Oh, I yeah. did a, just a quick search, and as of the end of 2016, their official statement was 128 years ago today, a group of Lumbee petitioned the United States government for recognition as an American Indian tribe, and that fight continues today. Mm. So they still haven't gotten federal recognition, but it did go on to say that there had been some progress, and they're going to continue to pursue their efforts. So... They're still working on it, mm-hmm. but 
If you haven't seen this documentary, I think it was, what, $1.99 on Amazon mm-hmm, to rent? Mm-hmm. It wasn't much at all. And I definitely think it's worth $1.99. Mm-hmm. It's, you well, know, for sure. It's entertaining, if nothing else, watching Carnell Locklear dance on screen and That's talk. That's worth a buck ninety nine easily. It was so cute. And if you're not already familiar with Rhett and Link, and spending that buck ninety nine helps you to see this documentary, and it piques an interest in watching their videos, those you can all see for free. So. Yeah, yeah. Although, <laughs> Actually, I forgot to mention, they do have a YouTube Red channel that I have never watched yet that is subscription-only called Buddy System. And so I'm not sure exactly what that is, if it's scripted or what, but it's YouTube Red only. Now, see, I don't know a thing about YouTube Red, except that a few weeks ago, a couple months ago maybe, there was an opportunity to try it for free, and I just... Oh. Totally bypassed it and didn't even think about it. And I probably should have because it sounds like there's good content there. Well, I know that the videos you watch that have commercials, when you are YouTube read, they're commercial free. Okay. But then there's other content that you wouldn't see either way without YouTube read. Yes. Content producers can make content available only through YouTube read. And they do get higher. I think they get paid more for that. Mm. Because, I don't know. Maybe not. But I thought that was how it worked. So, when are we starting our YouTube channel? (laughs) No, I like being able to do this podcast looking like hell. And um. (laughs) You know what's funny? I think I had shared it with you, but one day when I was listening to NPR in the car, and they were interviewing a guy who, as his side gig would go in his basement and just compose all these songs and mm-hmm. he composed a song about like every town like he just looked up all these towns and he would write a little song oh yeah and yeah yeah then he wrote the poop song right right yeah <laughs> and, and it just he writes songs about everything just very prolific and just because there are so many of them that a few uh-huh. clicks on each one adds up to a lot yeah, of yeah and he's making like 20 some grand a year just Crazy. and it's passive income once you put it out there, right? You know, uh, creating it obviously, right? Is the labor so you just intensive. have one really productive weekend and you're cashing yeah. in the rest of the year. But they can stay out there forever, yeah. And I don't have to think about it, and they'll continue to earn money. What were we talking? Oh, we haven't ended on a high note, have we? All right, do you want to end on a high note? Yeah. So my high note, no, it's you, you, you do yours first. I recently went to the Museum of the American Revolution at Yorktown, mm-hmm. and they have updated it and expanded it. Mm-hmm. I'd never been before, but it's owned by and run by the same group that runs Historic Jamestown that I've been to mm-hmm. uh, before. Uh, where they have it set up where you start with a film, and then you walk through the exhibits, and then you get to go outside where they have costumed reenactors mm-hmm. there to answer questions about everyday life back in, in that time period. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to get to go with you and your family. Yay. <laughs> Blown away by the museum, the number of interactive exhibits yeah. and films. They also have one experience where you go and sit in what looks like a theater, but then it turns into a whole 4D experience. Yeah. Which I just thought was amazing. It yeah. really felt like you were on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And just really impressed with yeah. what they've done as far as renovations and upgrading. And it just was really, really impressive. Yeah. And my boyfriend, Alexander Hamilton, featured throughout. That's right. Along with my other boyfriend, Marquis de Lafayette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That um, 40 thing was really cool where all of a sudden there was kind of smoke billowing through the room during <laughs> yeah, the, um, yeah. battle scenes. That was really well done. It really was. And you, you felt the wind and you felt the, mm-hmm. uh, the 
the seat below you shake mm-hmm. like you were on the battlefield is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. good. And my daughter, I think, got a lot out of it. Yeah. too because she was able to not just like walk through and read but she was able to actually do things yeah it was nice after taking in all of that like little film clips here and there and little relics that were under glass like uh-huh. in any museum then you open these doors and you go out into this area where they've got fires burning and tents you know yeah and a guy explaining battlefield surgeon stuff yeah that was really cool like <laughs> that's right instruments they would use to pull a tooth when it came to that and yeah and i learned a lot there too because i had always assumed that surgery on the battlefield or in the revolutionary war was more primitive than civil war which everybody yeah seems to know more about but he corrected that fallacy mm-hmm. and said, no, surgeons knew about germs. We washed their hands. Uh, in the Civil War, they didn't have time to wash their hands. Right. So so much of the Civil War problem with medical care was that it was just so overwhelming. So right. just sheer numbers of people injured yeah. that they couldn't keep up with everything that they would ideally do. Right. And I hadn't thought about that, the proportion of people hurt in battle in the Revolutionary War as opposed to... Civil War. I've always said that I don't understand why the Civil War history gets so much play and the Revolutionary War history gets very little because it seems to me like the Revolutionary history has much more relevance to who we are now. Right. Maybe not relevance, but it's much more defensible. To right. That's how we became Americans. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's not the time we almost broke in half. Right. But when you think scale, about the sheer numbers, yeah. you understand why it was a bigger deal. And yeah. Um, how long it went on and just oh yeah but i agree it was really well done and very cool to see and i liked how it was a nice mix of you know just the usual meandering around a museum looking at things and lots of interactive displays mm-hmm. you could there was this life-size thing where you could scroll through and talk to different people from yeah. that time a black soldier a woman who was writing plays and stuff mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. to you know, whip up interest in the revolution. Yeah, Native Americans. I would never have thought about, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that was very interesting to me as well because older museums never had anybody's story except for the the white white guys on the field. (laughs) But they were not alone. Right. They weren't alone at all. And, but then still also made clear that it was, you know, for like an Indian man to join the revolution, it was sort of a conflicted decision yeah. like is this gonna am I gonna get anything out of this am I you're talking I, about liberty here right but how much how much liberty are you willing to pass around yeah, and you for took a mine away the other the black soldier whose name his first name escapes me but his last name was Lafayette he assumed the name Lafayette right. after the war you know how for same thing for him if I yeah, give up this for spy, you what am right? I gonna get yeah yeah he was a spy yeah and he had the Brits convinced that he was fed up with Americans and you know was buddying up with them and getting all their information and bringing it back to the Americans yeah but what a huge risk to take and how petrified would you be knowing that you were mm-hmm. in danger of getting found out any second and you yeah, don't have any guarantee that there's anything in it for you if America wins right yeah, really interesting. I'm glad there was much greater diversity of voices in that. I didn't know anything about women being involved in it. I didn't know anything about black soldiers or Native right. American soldiers or any of that. So I'm glad their voices were in there. Yeah. And the hands-on stuff afterwards was really cool, too. It sure was, yeah. Highly recommend it if you're ever in the vicinity of Yorktown. 
Very, very good. So my high note is not as active (laughs) as that. It's got to do with just sitting on my keister and watching shows that have come back. Nothing wrong with that. And listening to a podcast that's come back. So Better Call Saul, uh, season three has just started, and I'm super excited about that. I'm not doing a bang-up job of staying up late enough to watch it as it airs, but I am catching up with it eventually. And um, it's nice to see all those characters back again. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt will be coming back here before long. A few weeks, I think. And the podcast that I'm excited about coming back is uh, My Dad Wrote a Porno. And I don't remember... Were you the one who turned me on to that? No, you told me about it. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember who... Oh, I do. I do remember who told me about it. She's funny. I need to thank her. But I was like, just from the title of it, I was like, (laughs) I don't really know if this is going to be good listening, but okay. So the premise of it, if you haven't had the pleasure, is this man, this British man, who's probably in his 30s or 40s, 30s, I'm guessing. His father, who was a retired man, retired Englishman, decided in his retirement to write an adult novel. Adult novella, I think it was novella, after the success of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes. He decided. He decided, <laughs> oh, this suit. Fifty Shades thing has really taken off, and I've got some free time, so I'm going to sit in my shed with my bottle of Chardonnay and write a saucy little novel and see what comes of it. And so this guy being horrified, as any of us would be, by the thought of his aging father writing, you know, nasty literature in his shed. Um, and, and the pseudonym he uses is oh, Rocky yeah. Flintstone. Rocky Flintstone is the name <laughs> his dad chose as his nom de plume for this uh, work of art. And so this guy, even though he's horrified by what his father has done, he has helped himself to a copy of it. And the podcast is him and his two very funny friends reading out loud from the manuscript and just snickering to themselves about the hilarious stuff that comes up. And the thing is, it's badly written enough that it's hilarious and there's plenty of jokes to be made about it. But it's also well written enough that you do kind of wonder from chapter to chapter... (laughs) What is this hussy going to get into next time? So, yeah, it's really hilarious to listen to. There's just something so charming about British humor, especially when they're handling really <laughs> saucy <laughs> topics. Yeah. And, and it's it's actually cute to think about. This is how his father sees sexuality, and you know yes. this this whole Fifty Shades of Grey type thing. Yes. Yeah. And, and the things that his dad clearly does not understand about the terminology he's using. Like the phrase going down on somebody. He fundamentally misunderstood what that meant. And you, so I'm not even going to go into detail, but you have to listen to the podcast. I think they've, is that a third season too? They've done. Yeah, that would be the third. Yeah. Yeah. So go back, listen to seasons one and two. Rocky Flintstone just keeps churning them out. So they're about to come back in a few weeks with uh, the third season. And I cannot wait. I love and you can people. also so buy funny. the book from Amazon. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And oh. I guess, you know, the money goes to Rocky. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Anyway, it's very, very funny. Give that a listen if you can. And you will not regret it. <laughs> yeah, that is great. <laughs> okay, well, that wraps up this week. Join us next week. And in the meantime, be sure to check out our Facebook page at Talkumentaries or visit us at Talkumentaries.com. Or check out our older episodes on iTunes. And while you're out at iTunes, be sure to rate and review us. It really helps. 
tell us what we should watch. <laughs> if you have a favorite documentary that we haven't covered yet, it may or may not be on our little list I'm looking at here, but tell us what we should watch. And, yeah, uh, we'd, we'd love to hear And where you. to find it, if it's on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. <laughs> All right. Thank you. See you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.